0: So, Andrew, uh, swears are okay, uh, just to let you know. Um, by the way, this is a quick aside. When Connie Chong said the word tushy, I haven't heard the word tushy in like 20 years or something.
1: I <laughs> so... couldn't agree more. I know. That's funny. You're right. I hadn't. Yeah, totally. I had the same reaction.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you want to drop a tushy every now and then in the middle of the podcast, feel free. Uh, yeah, is right. it's, it's, it's quite acceptable. Let's do it. Yo, welcome to My Summer Layer. I'm your host, Sammy. I've never adopted a Cabbage Patch Kid Yunnan. Let's hop into the DeLorean and travel back to early February 1983 and visit the International Toy Fair in New York City. This is the country's largest toy trade show, and it would attempt to forecast what the kids would want for Christmas that year. In 1983, at that toy fair, there was the Brooke Shields doll, the Brooke 2, with a new smile and longer hair. All right? There's also the Valley Girl Talking Doll. I kind of vaguely remember this. I don't... It's odd. So when you pull the string on the back of the Valley Girl Talking Doll, she says phrases like, gag me with a spoon, grow to the max. Of course, it's 1983, so there was E.T. Toys, as well as Return of the Jedi merch, and Pac-Man spawned Pac-Man Putty, which glows in the dark. I think that was the marketing hook. Alright then. However, the big hit at the International Toy Fair in February 1983 was something called Cabbage Patch Kids. This was new. Coleco's mass-marketed dolls, they didn't cry or say anything there was no string to pull in the back they didn't fill up a diaper (laughs) they didn't do what dolls do they were simply soft skin pudgy dolls that was february by october 1983 riots were breaking out in stores we're used to black friday news footage of all the pushing and punching but in 1983 this was new Seeing a store open its doors and a crowd shoving their way in and grabbing Cabbage Patch kids. Adults even snatched them out of a child's sticky hands. Children always have sticky hands. What's happening? This is the backdrop of Billion Dollar Babies, directed by Andrew Jinks and narrated by Neil Patrick Harris. Andrew is the face and voice of What Really Happened, a documentary podcast produced by The Rock. It explores, as you can tell from the title, what really happened, often related to pop culture subjects. And in terms of documentaries, as a filmmaker, he's made a 30 for 30 and room 335, where he moved into a senior's home and lived with the old folks for several weeks. In this conversation with Andrew, he and I explore the strange origins of the Cabbage Patch Kids. He uses the word zany, and Connie Chung, remember her? Connie Chung, who was in the documentary, uses the word tushy. Oh man, tushy. As if that wasn't enough, wait until you hear about Babyland General Hospital. The Babyland General Hospital footage in the dock, Billion Dollar Babies, is stunning and surreal. I cannot even process what I saw. I actually had to rewind the film a little bit just to, like, let it sink in. Andrew shares his experiences in that bizarre hospital. It's the 40th anniversary of the Cabbage Patch Kids Sure, there are no more riots at the stores, but these dolls have lasted 40 years. They are still sold, and they still pack an emotional resonance. Nobody's going to make a doc about the Brooke Shields dolls, right? Here's my conversation with Andrew Jinks talking about Billion Dollar Babies, a Cabbage Patch Kids documentary. Oh, and you better believe I brought up Garbage Pail Kids. 100%. No doubts.
1: Sound. The Final Frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan.
0: Give me just a quick snapshot of what Billion Dollar Babies is. And because it's set in the 80s, just to give people a sense of who you are, can you tell me like one of your favorite things? About the 80s. It could be the big hair, it could be the music, maybe a specific movie, whatever it is. So just a quick snapshot of billion dollar babies and your favorite things or one of your favorite things about the 80s.
1: Sure. So the um yeah, the Cabbage Patch Kids, uh, the documentary Billion Dollar Babies, the true story of the Cabbage Patch Kids, is about about a couple things, too, that really come to mind. One is when the Cabbage Patch Kids came out in 1983. There was just melee's and madness and fights in, in malls and stores all over the country, and you can even look it up on YouTube, and you see people just act, you know, acting insane. You know, the went on to make billions of dollars. Uh, you know, this this doll, and so the movie, you know, looks into why, what happened, what was it? You know, all these all these different factors that a lot of them were were unexpected for me, and then the kind of second piece that that is a big focus is Xavier Roberts the creator of Cabbage Patch Kids did he maybe potentially steal the idea from this woman Martha Nelson Thomas um was he or was he inspired by her uh and and, and we get into the court cases and, and you know there's kind of a kind of a larger conversation there and what's interesting about about the 80s was that there wasn't as many outlets, obviously, as as there is uh, these days. And so they were able to, you know, find and receive press from everyone that, you know, was kind of uh, people were watching. So you mentioned Connie Chung on the Today Show, Johnny Carson, Letterman, Newsweek, Time, SNL, Nightline, like Ronald Reagan, you know, called and wanted one, uh, you know, there was... Mm-hmm. a Patch kid that was was with astronauts in space. So uh, <laughs> that was that was an interesting piece of it all.
0: I appreciate the fact that you mentioned that one of the uh, Cabbage Patch kids is left-handed. I'm left-handed. I didn't know that there was left-handed uh, Cabbage Patch kids. So thank you for representing. That's really
1: that's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't uh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And so. Is this kind of, in a weird way, this documentary, is this kind of an extension of your podcast, What Really Happened? You're kind of investigating a longer story. This is obviously not in a podcast, this is a documentary, but is it kind of the same impetus where you're kind of curious and want to see what really happened?
1: Yeah, there there are definitely similarities. And in, in What Really Happened, there was an episode I did on the, the Disney movie that or might be the biggest block box office flop of all time called John Carter. And so we did a, a deep dive on, on why was it the biggest box office flop? What happened? The director uh, of that film, Andrew Stanton had never really done an interview since the movie had come out about the movie. Mm-hmm. So kind of like Xavier, who had never really given a full interview uh, we were able to, to, to interview him. And, and so there's definitely similarities in trying in terms of trying to break down what happened with with uh in that in that sense, it was a disaster in with Cabbage Patch kind of the other way around.
0: Yeah, and for what happened, it was uh one of the executive producers was The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Right. So that seems like a odd non-visual choice for both of you, the filmmaker and the film star.
1: What sorry, say that once more?
0: That seems like an odd uh like choice like for like a non-visual medium to tell stories in a non-visual medium right because like you're like a filmmaker and he's a film star Do you know yeah, what i mean yeah. so how did you guys end up deciding to like <laughs> not using quote-unquote your gifts or what you're known for and end up in a non-visual medium yeah that's funny um
1: you know the the first episode of what really happened was a story about muhammad ali and how he uh in los angeles actually in the early 80s had uh, stopped a guy from committing suicide from a building in Los Angeles, and we had actually been pitching it as a as a documentary. And uh, someone we were talking to sound, said, "You know, this sounds like a really cool podcast. And every episode could be looking back at an historical event and trying to really unpack what went on." And we kind of ran with that. But but you're right; it, it's it, it's maybe not what what one would necessarily expect.
0: Yeah, I mean like you're a talented filmmaker and he's a talented film star. So it's just kind of surprising like we're going to make a podcast now. I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, you know, I mean it, it was obvious. But you're you still know, telling stories though, right? That's the key, isn't it?
1: That's that's it, exactly. It's it's a documentary podcast if you will. And and uh but but yeah, no, you're 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 abs- and, and and Dwayne is 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 loves documentaries uh and he has a big affin- a huge affinity for for Muhammad Ali. And so there was kind of those natural tie-ins.
0: And so let's keep going, I guess, with the celebrity train because Neil Patrick Harris is the narrator of Billion Dollar Babies. Uh, how did Neil get involved? He has some really great witty lines for a documentary narrator.
1: Yeah, you know, we I I think he he fits very well because obviously in a lot of ways he 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 had his own stamp on on the '80s and and Doogie Howser and I think a lot of people. You know he's obviously had a prolific career um that's certainly something that that stands out uh and then you know i, I think there's kind of this subversive nature to him uh, you know you're talking about some of the lines and and i thought that worked very well in conjunction with with the story we were telling and then the other thing too is you know sometimes narrators almost make it about themselves or, or and it becomes they kind of overtake the story and I thought Neil did a really good job of kind of adding another dimension, but not not like making it about himself or something.
0: Mm-hmm. It's odd because when you watch the documentary, even if you hadn't seen the credits or knew about it, like you recognize his voice. I didn't realize we had been around Neil Patrick Harris enough times to like recognize his voice. You know what I mean? It's not like he has an iconic voice or something, right? But it's like, oh yeah, well, that's definitely Neil Patrick Harris.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: And for something like this, like nostalgia is naturally going to be baked uh, into the documentary. Like, how do you ensure you haven't put too much like teaspoons of nostalgia into the mixing bowl? Because too much nostalgia just kind of feeds the crowd, doesn't it? Like it kind of distracts from the story that you're telling.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I I never thought of um, I never once really looked at it. As let's make sure to uh, include in the story the nostalgia, or even like make sure that's that's layered in there because it, it's natural. Like mm-hmm. the, there was it, it's it's it, you know, just watching the archival footage and the commercials and and people talking at the time about everything that was going on around them, that was sort of baked in. And so, you know, I think our focus was really on, on making sure we, we told the best story with all of the kind of moving parts that, that we were working with at at hand and, uh, the nostalgia would kind of, would kind of come to us in a, in a certain way.
0: What about the strangeness? Because on IG you posted, I've been working on on this new film for nearly a year and it might be my strangest movie yet. What did you mean by that in terms of like what's the strangeness to you? What was the aspects of the documentary Billion Dollar Babies That Was Strange to You? I think
1: if you if you had told me that we'd be making a, a movie about the cabbage patch kids, which is already a little bit of a, you know, a zany idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I but while making it, I would be calling courthouses in, in Georgia and reading, you know. 300 pages of an affidavit, uh, uh, and exhibits and, and all sorts of, 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 of legal pieces to this. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of what I meant. Obviously, you know, Martha and Xavier were in court for several years and there's questions of, of IP and copyright. And so uh, that is kind of what I mean is that, you know, you, on the surface, it's a movie about this doll that, that became a sensation. But Mm -hmm. when digging into it, there was just like a lot more, a lot more to it.
0: Is it ironic? I guess, is that the right word? That like popular and profitable dolls uh, called little people were crafted initially, what your documentary saying, they were initially crafted by Martha Nelson Thomas, who didn't get credit or money for them. Like that's really the definition of little people. Isn't it sometimes?
1: Well, 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 uh, so, so Martha created what were called doll babies. Mm Mm-hmm. Xavier, before Cabbage Patch Kids, uh, what he had called his creations were little people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Martha came came out with doll babies in the 70s. Uh, Martha and Xavier uh, met each other. He had seen her dolls. Um, he then started working on his own dolls. And so there is a larger question as to whether or not, you know, did he steal the idea? Was he inspired by her? And obviously as you know we we dive into that.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a strange thing with popular culture in general uh because like we live in a world of iterations, right? Like Deep Impact and Armageddon came out at the same time. <laughs> we choose Coke and Pepsi every day. Uh we can get a Big Mac or a Whopper. There's not I'm not necessarily saying that one didn't rip off the other, but I'm just saying like as a generalization in popular culture we do tolerate and live with iterations. There are things that are just kind of the same but not quite the same.
1: That's exactly right, and I think I think that's certainly a, a big part of of this documentary. And then you know there, there's everyone you know what I've been kind of surprised by the most is people who see the film uh, you know, half the people leave saying, "Oh, Xavier ripped, ripped her off, and the other half leave saying, uh, no, he's a great businessman. He didn't do anything illegal. He followed copyright laws and, and that's how it works. And so that's been a kind of an interesting thing to to see how people react.
0: This is an '80s story, so it would naturally be like about consumerism and the economics. Like you even had the clip from Wall Street that greed is good, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what makes the Cabbage Patch Kids phenomenon so potent because it's it's an '80s story.
1: Yeah, and there's also like a big thing in terms of this, you know, uh, supply and demand. Um, you know, uh, you know, higher demand. And and scarcity of a product creates fear that you're not going to get it. And so I think that certainly played a role. You know, the the government, um US government actually ended up fielding a uh, a false advertising charge against Coleco and Cabbage Patch kids, saying that they were harassing children by running ads for dolls that weren't even available. So <laughs> yes. Cabbage Patch, they actually had to discontinue further advertising. They made a big announcement saying the commercials were being pulled. And of course, that just created an, e- an even bigger craze. Right. So there is something. It's a, There's a little like econ 101, I suppose, in this in this movie too.
0: So continuing that thread though, because like we just alluded to the whole thing with Martha Nelson Thomas, who's making dolls on one hand. And then you have the wildly successful Cabbage Patch Kids on the other hand. Is there, um, this is a strange question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. But is there kind of like a purity? to the imagination of the way that she was selling her dolls versus the Coleco corporation. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I would say so. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I definitely think that I think she was in, in a lot of ways, kind of an artist, artist. She, she loved the process of making her doll babies. Um, she really took like incredible care. She, you know, she was known to like get upset when she, when she gave one away. Mm -hmm. So, You know, she in her brain, the last thing she was thinking about was money and how to sell them, and so yeah, purity. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that before, but yeah, purity might be a good word for for that.
0: Part of why your documentary "A Billion Dollar Babies" is is successful is because the Cabbage Patch Kids were not just some sort of isolated like '80s phenomenon. This is forty years now right, of Cabbage Patch, and they've lasted generations. Obviously, people are not trembling in the stores anymore, but they've lasted generations. And I think sometimes, too, that's one of the things of when we talk about the 80s or highlight the 80s is that a lot of that stuff, even just like He-Man, Star Wars, and things like that, those were corporations marketing to kids so that the kids would eventually grow up and be adults who have spending power. You know what I mean? And mm. so you get kind of like this kind of like, it's a corrupt imagination. That's why I said Purity.
1: Mm, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, she, Um. Yeah. You know, she was not. Yeah, and the kid, you know, her kids say it and, in, in, you know, Martha's two kids say it in, in the film that Uh, she, you know, would have never sort of her doll babies wouldn't have ever probably become some sort of, you know, national phenomenon because that wasn't really the way that she necessarily thought. Whereas Xavier certainly has a business mind as well. And, 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 uh, and so that, that is kind of what you're, what you're speaking to.
0: Yeah. I mean, like the Xavier marketed cabbage patch dolls or baby, I guess the Cabbage patch kids, he marketed them as, Individuals, whereas Martha Nelson Thomas—this is a simplification—but Martha Tom Nelson Thomas made her dolls by an individual. Well, they
1: they both kind of saw their each. Martha definitely saw each one as unique and different, and yeah, uh, no two were alike. What Xavier and and Kalika were able to do was have a uh, a doll that they could sell. To the masses, and because of computer technology, at just kind of at the start there, they could have factories that would make each doll, you know, slightly different than the other one. So dimples, hair color, eye color, uh, you name it. A- and that was a big part of of the marketing was that, despite the fact that there are millions of these dolls, no two are going to be exactly the same. That hadn't been done before.
0: And the other thing that hadn't been done before, and it was a big part of the marketing, and I was surprised when you used the word zany a couple of minutes ago that you didn't drop this when you were talking about the Babyland General Hospital in Georgia. That's that—that's the very definition of zany. So what were your first impressions when you visited Babyland General Hospital for the first time?
1: I just thought it was so smart, uh, you know, the idea of creating a hospital for the kids as they, as they call them. Um, And, you know, they, they give uh, you know, there's a birth, I think it's every hour uh, with a nurse dressed up, you know, and, 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 uh, and and they have cribs and, and the whole thing. So I I saw them on the bottom bottom, too. You get footage footage of them like like, when
0: the kid is born, like it's real life, right? (laughs) Like you got to make sure the kid is okay.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I really appreciate that that kind of imaginative that 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 degree of imagination and and taking something something that most people would think of as, you know, you're just selling dolls and and creating a whole world behind mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah, and so for you, you've been as a filmmaker, you've been kind of involved in a number of different ro- worlds. Uh, you obviously had uh, Room Three Three Five, which was like hanging out at a seniors' home, basically. Um, I always find that like when people talk about your work, they talk a lot about you being curious, but you almost seem like you're interested in, in things that impact generations. The podcast that we talked about, what really happened, those were kind of stories that had a big impact or were urban legends or things like that, that kind of impact the generations. Uh, room three, three, five is a documentary about you at a old folks home. That's, again, you interacting with generations as a young person. And then, of course, Cabbage Patch Kids, Billion Dollar Babies is a documentary about a whole generation of kids just kind of like, and their parents just fighting for these dolls and trying to collect these dolls and things like that. Like, how would you classify it? Are you the curious type or are you interested in those type of stories that do connect generationally?
1: Uh, You know, I think for me, I, I try and find stories about, you know, people that are a lot of times overlooked and and not really represented in 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 mainstream media and so the first documentary when i was 19 and and i moved into a nursing home for five weeks uh was really about you know giving a voice to the senior citizens that that lived in the nursing home in florida that i that i lived in um and and then you know the the mtv show that i did for many years world of janks i you know lived with a young woman who was homeless and a young man who had autism and and um, people from really all walks of life, and you know, Cabbage Patch is a, a little bit different in that sense, but in some ways, it's not. Like Martha Nelson Thomas has never really been given the credit that I feel like she's she's due, um, mm-hmm. and I'd like to think we were able to able to accomplish that with with this with this movie.
0: The other thing that I I found interesting and like you accomplished with this documentary was that I didn't realize this was like the the ancestry uh, of um, Black Friday. Like Like, like the whole thing of the of all the parents rushing and snatching the the, the cabbage patch kids from little kids. Like this is mine. I got to get from my kid. Like all that was like that pandemonium of when the store opens and everybody rushes in and people are getting injured. You drew a line between the cabbage patch phenomenon in 83 and 84, right to black Friday.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, I I think because it was the early eighties, uh, you know, cameras that were a little bit more uh, flexible or, or, uh, you know, readily available uh, for local news stations to use and, and dispatch made a big difference because you actually can see the footage of people going that crazy. And if it was even a few years prior, obviously there was cameras and people could film, but I don't know if there were really that many to the extent you could say, hey, there's a, you know, you could be in Pittsburgh, there's a huge line of hundreds of people. And I think, you know, it's going to get crazy. All right, we'll have a camera there in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the ability to capture that really makes it made a huge difference. And I think if you had someone just kind of telling you in an interview, oh, it was crazy and people were fighting and there was bats, you know, and and threats, bats being thrown and people threatening each other, it would be like, okay, that sounds crazy, but the footage really, I think, speaks volumes.
0: Yeah, because as you said in the documentary itself, we hadn't really seen anything like that before, right? There was no... I, to parallel what, what's in the documentary, at the same time that uh, Coleco was putting out the Couch Patch Kids, they put out that computer Atom which obviously like was terrible and like nobody remembers it now it was a failure like there was a lot of glitches and issues with it and so it's kind of interesting that they have that whole spectrum where like people are trampling each other and pushing into the stores to get the couch patch kids and then the other flip side of it their other product is just they can't move it at all
1: yeah and that was an issue you know they they calico put a lot of not not just tons of money but you know the company itself energy and resources into the atom looking mm-hmm. what, what was true, that computers would be the wave of the future. But it, as it turned out, they, they probably should have put more time and energy into developing the uh, the quote-unquote ugly-looking doll. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe that company would, would have uh, lasted a little longer.
0: So as we're wrapping up, I, I appreciate the fact that you also spent a couple of minutes at the end of the documentary talking about the Garbage Pail Kids. Yeah. Those were great. Uh, did you collect any of the garbage pail kids or did you like any of that stuff back in the day?
1: You know, it was, it, what I thought was so interesting was that, uh, you know, Xavier and, and his company ended up suing tops, um, the, the tops company who, who, mm-hmm. uh, who made the, the, the trading cards, garbage pail kids. And, uh, they, they ended up, um, you know, coming to, coming to an agreement. Uh, and I thought Della, you know, Xavier's, uh, who was in charge of kind of his operations you know she makes the point that you know it was different than the Mar- martha nelson thomas of it all and that it wasn't like garbage pail kids were inspired by cabbage they were just like ripping it off and so i didn't see that coming like the garbage pail kids kind of uh uh component but they were certainly very popular
0: <laughs> no, like I remember them and I had friends who collected them and they would like crack me up because it's like when you're at that age as a young boy, they're like, it's all like fart and boogers, right? Oh my so, God.
1: Yeah. hundred like, percent.
0: Like that's the top shelf gold material <laughs> when you're like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, those,
1: those took off. Yeah. hundred percent.
0: And so billion dollar babies opens on black Friday and you're hoping <laughs> that uh people uh, go to the theaters in a common orderly manner. And yeah, like, Exactly.
1: Obviously- <laughs> exactly no we, yeah we want melees and people can't get seats and they're 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 punching each other for the right the right uh the right spot in the in the theater but yes it comes out um uh you can go to our website and and uh and see uh you know it's playing in theaters all over the country so hopefully it's it's one nearby
0: okay great i will put it in the show notes thank you andrew so much for like hanging out yeah man. Uh, we covered quite a bit of the 80s there do you have a follow up project i know this is the inevitable question you always get in these interviews but is there something you're working on that you can talk about or is it still early stages
1: uh yeah i uh yeah probably get in trouble yeah too early too early but we'll okay. we will let you know when uh when that uh yeah comes to fruition
0: okay before i let you go this has nothing to do with Billion Dollar Babies, but uh, you did the uh, Sean Bradley 30 for 30 yeah, uh, with Jeff Van Gundy. So thank you. I, I watch a lot of the 30 for 30s because there's a lot of stories that I don't know. You know what I mean? Because like, especially with sports stuff, that's the whole point of the 30 for 30s. You get kind of right. deeper into those stories. And so I, I, I watch a lot of NBA, so I knew who Sean Bradley was. But that whole thing with him and Jeff Van Gundy, all of that, I didn't know. So thank you for that documentary.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, it took uh, I think we have it in the film. It's called a uh, Posterized the Story of Sean Bradley and and yeah, I mean, like Xavier, it took me a long time to find Sean Bradley. Um both of them were kind of mystery men that that really re- required some some digging to to figure out how to get in contact with them. So um, um I enjoyed the process of making that
0: Cool. Thank you so much for like everything. I appreciate it. Solid work on the documentary. High five to you and the team.
1: So I, hope,
0: I think it'll connect well with a lot of people. And like you said, it'll be interesting to hear if people like fall on the 80s economic greed is good, or if they get into the nostalgia of like, I had a cabbage patch, or if they kind of side with Martha Nelson Thomas, so it'll be interesting to see the reaction as it gets more of a uh, distribution. So
1: Totally. Yeah, that, I'm I'm very interested in that piece of it.
0: Yo, that was director Andrew Jinks. his documentary is Billion Dollar Babies, and I'm Sammy, host of My Summer Lair. When Andrew talked about the Babyland General Hospital in Georgia, it sounded entirely absurd. Like, you need to see this footage in the documentary. You can watch this doc, Billion Dollar Babies, playing at a cinema near you. Just go for that, just to see this hospital. It's unreal, yet totally real. I kind of want to go. Does anybody else want to join me? It's in Cleveland, Georgia. That'd make a fine and fun road trip. Anyways, are you old enough to have requested a Cabbage Patch Kid for Christmas? Reach out to your parents and see what hell they went through to get that thing. By now, we've all seen the wild footage of Black Friday sales, and of course, remember Tickle me I have to admit, the one of the oddest Christmas toy sales slash Christmas panics was Star Wars. Remember how big Star Wars was when that first movie was released? Check this out. Realizing it would be impossible to get a full line of Star Wars toys manufactured in time to meet the needs of a a holiday season, Kenner was forced to improvise. Kenner was, of course, the company that put out the Star Wars toys. Instead of simply releasing a proper toy line in 1978 and missing out on the Christmas rush, Kenner came up with the early bird certificate package or what now many nerds call the empty box campaign to satisfy this rabid fan base. It was a piece of paper that was a corporate promise. How surreal is this? This is weird. This kit from Kenner. So you would open it up basically and just getting like a piece of paper. But this kit also contained the all-important mail-in certificate promising the recipient would get the company's first four action figures. These are Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, R2-D2, and Chewbacca. What an odd set. These four figures would be delivered to their homes between February and June of 1978. Merry Christmas, kids. Here's a piece of paper. The action figures are in the mail. It's just bizarre the things we have seen. These zany experiences are what I write about in my newsletter. Andrew un- unpacks popular culture in his What Really Happened podcast. I do it with a Substack newsletter called My Pal Sammy. You got to sign up for this newsletter right now. Don't even push pause. Sign up like it's the last Cabbage Patch Kid in the store and it's Christmas Eve and you will have a disappointed child in the morning. You got to sign up right now. Google My pal Sammy Substack, My pal Sammy Substack, or go to mysummerlayer.com, which is the name of the podcast. Mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe. MySummerLayer.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Zany, yo.